What a thrill you have. You're now tuned in to Hawkins Ways. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darnetta has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Greetings, fellow Star Wars fans. This is your host, Kyle, bringing you the most ultimate audio experience possible. You are now tuned into Star Wars Audio Archives. So how is life treating you out there? I hope you are ready to join me on a grand adventure because I have a mission of epic proportion for you. Are you up for this mission? Good, get ready to jump to light speed and explore the Star Wars Old World Republic like never before because now it is time to engage the thrusters and go full throttle. This episode is going to be more exciting than Order 66 packed with high stakes action and enough force mind tricks to keep you swirling for days. So power up your lightsaber, grab you something to drink, and let's go on a Star Wars adventure. Are you ready to blast off? Then let's get to it. The pure hate and raw rage pouring off Malgus struck Eren like a physical blow. She braced herself against it as she might a hailstorm. She realized how strongly he felt for the Twi'lek how he sublimated all of his emotion for her into hate and rage. He ignited his lightsaber, and his eyes and the plates of his armor reflected its red glow. He reached a hand behind him, made a sharp cutting gesture, and the doors to the hangar slammed closed. Another gesture, and the emergency locks turned into place. Just us, he said, his voice as rough as a rasp. He had not taken his eyes from Alina. Aaron indicated the Twi'lek. She is alive, Sith. And I know your feelings for her. You know nothing, Malgus said, and took a slow step toward her. Let the dropship go. Give the order, or I will kill her. You lie. Aaron placed Master Zalo's blade at Alina's neck. Raw emotion surged out of Malgus, a gust of rage. I promise you I will do it, Aaron said. Malgus's free hand clenched into a fist. If you have harmed her permanently, I will see that you suffer. I promise you that. Aaron understood less and less about Malgus with each word he spoke. Still, she maintained her bluff. Give the order, Malgus. Malgus glared at her, snarled, spoke into his comlink. Jard, belay my previous order. The dropship is to be allowed to leave the system. My lord. Do it, Jard. Yes, my lord. Malgus walked toward Aaron, the slow movements of a hunter that smelled prey. And now, Jedi, you cannot leave here. I don't want to leave, Malgus. His eyes smiled. No, you want to kill me. Need to, yes, because of your master. The feelings the words mined out of the dark parts of her soul felt uncomfortably close to the rage flowing from Malgus. A day earlier, and her feelings might have mirrored his. That they didn't, she owed to Alina. And Zirid. And Master Zalo. I wanted to hurt you, Sith. Hurt you by hurting her. But I won't add to her pain. She suffers enough already. Mulgus stopped in his advance. His eyes went to the Twi'lek, 
and to her surprise, Aaron felt something akin to pity radiate from him. Just a flash, quickly washed away by hate. Enough words, he said, returning his gaze to Aaron. Make your attempt, Aaron Lanier. I am here. He discarded his cape, stood up straight, and saluted her with his lightsaber. She hefted her lightsaber, Master Zalo's lightsaber, felt the weight of both in her hands. She fell into the lines of the Force, at peace, calm, still heart, still mind. She had trained in dual lightsaber combat when she had been a Padawan, but she rarely fought with two blades in a genuine combat situation. She would now, here, today. She thought it fitting that she do so. She did not wait for Malgus. She bounded across the hangar, her speed augmented by the force, the lines of her blades leaving a blur of light in their wake. Malgus held his ground, blade ready. She stabbed low with her primary blade, high with her secondary. Malgus leapt over both, flipped, landed behind her, and cross-cut for her neck. She ducked under it while spinning into a reverse leg sweep that caught his feet and tripped him. When he hit the ground, she rose, turned, raised both blades, and drove them down in a parallel overhand slash. Malgus somersaulted backward, and Aaron's blades cut gashes in the floor of the hangar. Sparks flew. Malgus bounced up from the somersault and loosed a telekinetic blast that lifted Aaron from her feet and blew her across the hangar. She slammed into one of the shuttle's bulkheads, but used the force to cushion the blow so that it did no harm. Bouncing off the cool metal, she charged Malgus. As she ran, she cast first her own lightsaber at Malgus, then Master Zalos, using the force to guide both. The attack caught Malgus unprepared, and Aaron's blade bit into his armor. Sparks flew, and Malgus winced, snarled with pain. He ducked under Master Zalos' blade, and Aaron recalled both to her hands as she ran. The moment she had them, she cast them both at Malgus again. But this time he was ready. Augmenting his speed with the force, he flipped high into the air and out of the way of both. She anticipated his movement, however, bounded forward to cut him off, and landed a flying kick in his chest. He used the force to diminish the blow's impact, but it drove him back a step, and she heard his breath hitch through the sound of his respirator. He recovered, roared, raised his blade high to cut her in two, and brought it down. But she had already summoned her own blade back to her hand and interposed it in a parry. Malgus's strength drove her to her knees. She held out her other hand and pulled Master Zalo's blade to her hand, stabbed for his stomach with it. Malgus sidestepped the stab, though it skinned his armor and showered sparks. He pushed her blade to the side with his own and kicked her in the face. The strength behind the blow blew through her defenses, caused her to see stars, loose teeth, and sent her head over heels backward. She landed on her knees, stunned, seeing double. She rose, swayed on her feet, seeing four blades in her hands rather than two. Something was in her mouth, and she spat it out. A tooth, the root forked and bloody. You are a child to hate. Malgus said, his tone incongruously soft as he stalked toward her. Your anger barely smolders. You're a fraction of what you could be. 
She needed time to recover her senses, some distance from Malgus. She backflipped high into the air and landed atop the Imperial shuttle. Her mind was beginning to clear. Your master was also misguided. He thought to defeat me with calm, but failed. You thought to defeat me with anger, but carried too little, despite your loss. Aaron's vision began to clear. She felt more herself. Be grateful for that Jedi. Anger exacts its own price. Again, she felt the odd sense of sympathy or pity, adulterating the otherwise pure hate flowing from Malgus. His eyes went to Alina. Her body crumpled on the landing pad's floor. As Aaron prepared to leap at Malgus, he held forth a hand, almost casually, and lightly sizzled through the space between them. Aaron interposed her lightsabers, but the power in the lightning exceeded anything she had felt from Malgus before. It blasted through her defenses, and both lightsabers flew from her hands. The lightning seized her, lifted her up, and threw her from the top of the shuttle. As she flew toward the deck, she smelled burning flesh, heard screaming, realized it was her flesh, her screams. She hit the ground hard, and her head bounced off the ground. Sparks erupted in her brain, pained, and everything went dark. Zirid's military training responded faster than his thoughts. He made a knife of his right hand and drove it at the smaller man's throat. But Vrath, too, must have been trained. A sweeping side block with his left hand threw Zirid's arm out wide. Then Vrath seized the arm by the wrist, shifted his feet to get him closer to Zirid, and rotated into a hip toss. Zirid saw it coming, rode with the throw, hit the ground in a roll, and came up with his E9 drawn and aimed. A kick from Vrath sent the blaster flying, and it discharged into the bulkhead. Vrath followed the sidekick into a spinning back kick, but Zirid anticipated it, took the blow to the side to capture the leg, stood, and drove his fist into the man's nose. Bone crunched, and blood exploded outward. Vrath flailed wildly with his left hand, driving his straightened fingers into Zirid's throat, a blow that would have killed him if the man had been able to put more into it. As it was, the blow caused Zirid to release Vrath's leg and recoil. Zirid reached behind his back for his second blaster and started to pull it loose. But Vrath charged him before Zirid could bring it to bear, drove Zirid up against one of the cargo crates. The sharp point of the crate's corner pressed into Zirid's back, and he grunted at the pain. Vrath's hand snaked around Zirid's, caught him by the wrist, levered it, and slammed it against the crate. The second blaster fell to the floor, and the man kicked it away. Zirid grunted with effort and shoved Wrath away from him. They regarded each other from three paces, both gasping. Wrath's eyes watered. Blood poured out of his nose. Zirid had trouble breathing through his damaged trachea. Guess it had to come to this, the man said, his voice made nasal by his broken nose. Didn't it, Zirid Gore? He covered first one nostril, then the other, blowing out blood and snot in turn. I'm Vrath, by the way. Vrath's eyes are... Zirid barely heard him. He took the time Vrath had used to clear his nose, to recover his own breath, and eye the floor for either blaster. Both weapons had disappeared under crates during the scrum. 
Wrath felt the damage to his nose with a two-finger pincer. What are you? Harriers? Commandos? Zirids like a throwbird, and the two men began to circle. Havoc Squadron, Zirid said, sizing up the smaller man. First in, Wrath said, reciting one of the squad's mottos. You? Zirid asked. Imperial Sniper Corps. A skulker, Zirid said. Wrath lost his smile at the insult. I killed over fifty men in a Republic Uniform Corps. You'll be just another number to me. We'll see, Zirid said, as calm as the quiet moments before a thunderstorm. Wrath fainted, drawing a response from Zirid. Wrath grinned, his teeth bloody with runoff from his nose. Jumpy, yeah? Zirid watched for an opening as they circled. When he saw one, he fainted high and lunged in low, thinking to take Wrath down where Zirid's size would give him the advantage. Wrath sprawled to avoid the takedown, but Zirid used his weight to drive him up against the bulkhead. Wrath threw a short elbow, grazing Zirid's head, another catching him on the cheek. Grunting, Zirid pushed himself away from the smaller man to get some room to work. When he had it, still holding Wrath's arms, he put a knee into his abdomen. Another! Another! Wrath grunted, turned his body to keep his hips in the way. Wrath's fingers slid up Zirid's shoulder to his face, toward his eyes. Zirid shook his head, but Wrath's fingers found the sockets, started to burrow. Zirid shoved him away and backed off, blinking, covering his retreat with a front kick. Wrath lunged at him, seized him around the thighs, lifted him off the ground, and threw him back down. Zirid's head hit the deck hard, and he saw stars. Wrath squirmed atop him, fast, elusive, his arms and legs everywhere, wrapping Zirid up. Soon he had his body atop Zirid. Elbows and fists poured down, one after another. Zirid took a blow to the cheek, the temple, another to the cheek, the top of his head. The last opened him up, and blood ran warm and slick down his pate, smeared his face, darkened Wrath's elbow. Desperate, he reached for Wrath's arms, but the man was too fast, and the blood made his skin slick, more difficult to get a grip. Zirid wrapped his arms around Wrath's back, pulled him close to disallow him the room he needed to ply his elbows. And then, Wrath made a mistake. Trying to pull himself back up to loose more elbows, he put his face above Zirid's with only a few centimeters between them. Zirid threw his head up and slammed his brow into Wrath's already broken nose. Wrath cried out in pain, instinctively recoiled. Taking advantage of the opportunity, Zirid seized one of Wrath's wrists, rolled him over, threw his legs on either side of Wrath's shoulder, extended Wrath's arm, then extended his own body to lever the arm at the elbow. Wrath screamed as the hyperextension turned into an audible break. The arm went loose in Zirid's grasp. The joint shattered. He released Wrath's elbow, rolled and bounded to his feet. Wrath, his face twisted in pain, crawled for where the E-9 had disappeared under a crate. Zirid cut him off, picked him off the floor, and shoved him hard toward the bulkhead. Wrath careened into the metal wall, off kilter. He tried to catch himself with his broken arm, but it just hung limp from the joint, and he caught the side of his head flush. His eyes rolled, and he went down in a heap. 
Zira jumped atop him, punched him square in the eye, thinking he was only stunned. But the man stayed limp beneath him. Blood dripped from Zirid's head onto Wrath's face. Gasping, Zirid checked Wrath's pulse. Still alive. All at once, the adrenaline that had fueled him during the combat drained out of him. His entire body ached. His breath came ragged, and he had no strength. Stabs of pain in his face and head echoed each beat of his heart. The entire fight had taken maybe forty seconds. He felt as if he'd been beaten for hours. He stared down at Wrath, wondering what to do with him. He searched the man's pants, jacket, coat. He found several IDs and other personal items. He also found flex binders. He flipped Wrath over and pulled his arms behind him. He felt the bones in the broken arm grind together, and Wrath groaned. Sorry, Zirid said. There was nothing he could do about the arm. Once he had the man's arms secured, he slung him over his shoulders and carried him on shaky legs through the ship to the cockpit. A dragonfly had no brick, and there was no way Zirid was letting Wrath out of his sight. By the time he reached the cockpit, the ship had cleared the spaceport and angled upward for the atmosphere. Zirid studied the instrumentation. His face was swelling, and his eye was damaged from Wrath's fingers, so he had to squint. He took off his shirt and used it to apply pressure to his head wound. He didn't want to bleed all over the controls. A weapons belt with a GH-22 blaster and several knives lay on the pilot's seat. Wrath's weapons, presumably. Zirid belted them on and sat. He'd never flown a Dragonfly-class dropship before, but he could fly any criffing thing that tramped the stars. He'd need to get past the Imperial blockade and get into a hyperspace lane. Time to dance between the raindrops, he said, and disengaged the autopilot. He looked down out of the canopy at the spaceport far below, wondering what had happened with Aaron. He'd have paid a lot of credits to have her beside him right then. Aaron opened her eyes. Malgus stood over her, his bloodshot eyes fixed on her face. He held the Twi'lek still unconscious in his arms. He also held both of Aaron's lightsabers. His own lightsaber hilt hung from his belt. He had not killed her. She had no idea why. He stared down at her, and she felt his ambivalence. He was struggling with something. Take them and go, he said, and dropped both of her lightsabers. They hit the floor in a clatter. Take the shuttle. I will ensure you have safe passage away from Coruscant. She did not move. The lightsabers were centimeters from her hand. His eyes narrowed. Unless your need to avenge your master requires you to die, you should do as I command, Jedi. She pushed herself up with one hand, took both of the lightsabers in the other. The metal was cool in her palm. Why? Because you spared her, he said, his voice soft behind the respirator. Were our situations reversed, I would not have done so. Because your presence made me aware of something I should have known long ago. Aaron rose, still cautious, and clipped the lightsabers to her belt. 
We will be leaving Coruscant, you know. The Empire, I mean. All that remains is to sign the treaty. Then we will have peace. Does that please you? Please me? She still did not understand. She inventoried her injuries. Lots of bruises and lacerations. Nothing broken. She inventoried her soul. Nothing broken there, either. She looked into Malgus's face. She did not know what to say. Perhaps we will meet again. Under other circumstances. If we meet again, Erin Lanier, I will kill you as I did your master. Do not mistake my actions for mercy. I am repaying a debt. When you leave here, it is paid. Erin licked her lips, stared him in the face, and nodded. Do you know your own order betrayed you, Jedi? They informed us that you might be coming here. Aaron was not surprised, but the betrayal still hurt. I no longer belong to an order, she said, her throat tight. He laughed, the sound like a hacking cough. <laughs> then we have more in common than anger. Now go. She did not understand, and resigned herself to never understanding. She turned, still disbelieving, and headed for the shuttle. T-7 emerged from hiding near the ship and beeped a question. She had no answer. Together, they boarded the shuttle. When she reached the cockpit and sat, she realized that she was shaking. Still heart, still mind, she said, and felt calmer. Exhaling, she engaged the thrusters. She had no idea where she would go. As the blue of Coruscant's sky gave way to the black of space, Zerith started to sweat. He had the sensors for Imperial ships. They would have detected it by now. A cruiser showed on the screen. Maybe Valor? Maybe another one. He wheeled the dropship away from it, accelerated for the nearest hyperlane. He just wanted to jump somewhere, anywhere. A beep from the panel drew his attention. It took him a moment to realize it was a hail. It took him another moment to figure out how to operate it. He slapped the button, opening the channel. If nothing else, he'd curse out the Imperials before they shot him down. Dropship Razor, you are cleared to leave. Zerid assumed it had to be a ruse, a bad joke. But he saw nothing on the scanner, and the cruiser did not move to interdict. He flew for the hyperlane. He let the Navicomp calculate a course and tried to believe his luck. Wrath's voice startled him. Not bad, Commando. I'm impressed. Impressing you isn't my concern, Skulker. Wrath chuckled, but it turned into a cough and a wince. <laughs> there are pain pills in the med bay. You mind? Later, Zerid said. It hurts pretty bad, Marine. Good. It's just business, core. Zerid thought of Era, not Aaron. Right. Business. He'd had all he could take of business. We're done as far as I'm concerned. 
Brath said. I was hired to stop that Engspice from getting to Coruscant. I did that, which means we're done. I report back, and we never see each other again. I'd like my ship back, though. Zerud resisted the urge to punch a restrained man. He was behaving as if they'd just had a friendly sparring match, that they'd go out for drinks later. The exchange probably won't be as forgiving, though. Eh? Brath said. I hear they don't tolerate lost shipments. You and your family are gonna have a hard row there. Brath's words made Zerid's breath hitch. Hearing them changed everything. His knuckles turned white on the stick as options played out in his mind. Adrenaline filled him to his eyes. He stared straight out the cockpit window. They don't know I have a family. Not yet, Brath said. But they will. They always do. (laughs) Too late, Brath seemed to realize he'd stepped on a mine. He tried to chuckle it away, but Zerid heard the fear behind the laughter. Well, maybe they won't. (laughs) I'm just talking here. You talk too much, Zerid said while he hardened his expression, hardened his mind. The alchemy of necessity distilled his list of options down to one. He put himself on autopilot and stood. On your feet, Brath. When the man did not stand right off, Zerit pulled him roughly to his feet. Brath groaned with pain. Easy there, Marine. Pain meds now. Yeah? He sounded doubtful. Walk, Zerit said. To where? Zerid stuck the GH-22 in his back. Move! Reluctantly, Wrath let Zerid push him through the corridors of the ship. The man moved slowly, as if he knew Zerid's intent, and Zerid had to push him along. A few turns, a few corridors, and Zerid saw an airlock door. He steered Wrath to it, stopped before it. Turn around. Wrath did. His face was blotchy, but whether from the beating or from fear, Zerid could not tell. This is about your daughter, yeah? Well, I already told my people, Kor. They already know. Zerid heard the high pitch of a lie in Wrath's tone. A lie? You already told me you didn't. You said not yet. He moved Wrath out of the way with the blaster and activated the internal doors on the airlock. They unsealed and slid open with a hiss. A red light set into the ceiling lit up and began to spin. Zerid showed him the blaster. You want this? He nodded at the airlock. Or that? Wrath looked at the weapon. The airlock swallowed hard. It doesn't have to go this way, Kor. I won't tell anyone about you or your family. You can even keep the ship. I can't take that chance. Brath tried to smile, but it looked like a death grimace. Come on, Kor. If I say I won't talk, I won't talk. I'm nothing if not a man of my word. Zerid thought of the promise he'd made to Nat. That he'd take no unnecessary chances. Yeah. Me too. Desperation crept into Wrath's voice. He shifted on his feet. You have to bear this, Kor. This'll make you a murderer. Kill a man with his own weapon. You want that weight? 
Sirid knew what he was doing. Or at least he thought so. I can carry it. And I don't need a lecture about murder from a skulker. Fear made Wrath's eyes water. There was war, Kor. Think about it. Think hard! I have. Pick. Or I pick for you. Just another number, right? Wrath stared into Zirid's face. Maybe he saw the blankness, the resolve. To hell with you, Kor! To hell with you! Zirid pushed him into the airlock. I could have killed her, Kor! Both of them! Back at the park on Volta! You know I could have, but I didn't! No, Zirid said. You didn't. He activated the seal, and the door started to close. I wish I had killed them now! I wish I had! Zirid stopped the door, a sudden flash of anger rekindling his strength. He reached into the airlock and grabbed Wrath by the shirt, shook him. If you had harmed her, this would be coming to you with a sharp blade and a slow touch. You hear me, Skulker? Do you? He kicked Wrath in the stomach, doubling the man over with the blow, while Wrath gasped for breath. Zirid reactivated the door, and it sealed shut. Wrath stared at him through the tiny transparisteel window, all wild eyes, snarls, and teeth. Zirid hit the button to evacuate the airlock. The warning alarm wailed. He gave one more glance at Wrath, saw the fear there. Then he turned and walked back toward the cockpit. Murderer. That's what he was. The siren stopped, and he felt a soft rumble as the external airlock door opened. A pit opened in his stomach. Emotion, nameless and raw, caused his eyes to water. He wiped them clear. He was a murderer. And he felt heavy already. But he would carry it. For Nat. For Era. He'd expected he'd carry it for the rest of his life. And the weight would never diminish. He'd killed men before. But not like that. Not like he killed Vrath. For the first time, he understood. Really understood why Aaron had returned to Coruscant. He prayed to gods he did not believe in that she reconsidered what she had come to do. She felt things too keenly to feel what he felt. She could never carry it. It would destroy her. Better she should die. All of a sudden, he just wanted to sleep. He overrode the Navicom's random course and plugged in the coordinates to Volta. His hands shook the whole time. In moments, Razor jumped into hyperspace. He had always flown alone, but he'd never felt alone in the cockpit. Not until that moment. Sitting back in the chair, he tried to sleep and tried not to dream. Mulgus watched the shuttle, piloted by Aaron Lanier, rise on its thrusters. He raised Jard on the comm. A shuttle is lifting off from Liston. It is also clear to leave Coruscant's space. Yes, my lord, Jard answered. Mulgus could have broken his word to the Jedi, could have shot Aaron Lanier from the sky. But he would not. He kept his promises. But he realized more than ever that the Jedi were too dangerous for him to allow them to exist. 
they were to the Sith what Alina was to him. An example of peace, comfort, and therefore a temptation to weakness. Angrel did not see it. The Emperor did not see it. But Malgus saw it, and he knew what he must do. He must destroy the Jedi, utterly. He knelt beside Alina, cradled her head in his left arm. He studied her face, its symmetry, the line of her jaw, the deep-set eyes, the perfectly formed nose. He remembered the first time he'd seen her, a cowed, beaten slave, barely out of her teens. He'd killed her owner for his brutality, taken her into his house, trained her in combat. She had been his companion, his lover, his conscience ever since. Her eyes fluttered open, focused. She smiled. Ferritin, you are my rescuer. Yes. Where is the woman? Elena asked. The Jedi. She is gone. She will never hurt you again. She leaned her head back into his arm, closed her eyes, and sighed contentedly. I knew you loved me. I do, he acknowledged, and her smile widened. He felt tears forming in his eyes. His weakness made manifest. She opened her eyes, saw the tears, reached up an arm to put a hand on his cheek. What is wrong, my love? That I love you is what is wrong, Elena. Ferentin. He steeled himself, stood, ignited his lightsaber, and drove it through her heart. Her eyes widened, never left his face, pierced him. Her mouth opened in a surprised gasp. She seemed as if she wanted to say something, but no sound emerged from her mouth. And then it was over, and she was gone. He deactivated his blade. He could no longer afford a conscience or a weakness. Not if he was to do what must be done. He could serve only one master. He stood over her body until his tears dried. He resolved that he'd never shed another. He'd had to destroy what he loved. And he knew he would have to do it again. First the Jedi, then... Behind him, Curse and his soldiers were worrying at the landing bay doors, trying to cut their way in. Mulgus knelt and picked up her limp body. She felt as light as gauze in his arms. He would give her a funeral with honor, and then he would begin. His vision on Korriban had shown him a galaxy in flames, but it was not just the Republic that required cleansing by fire. Holy moly, this was some of the best Star Wars ever. This part had everything you could ever want. Lightsaber battles, blaster fights, Malgus showing mercy to his foe, then killing the love of his life. Honestly, I really didn't know how to take this part. I was super excited to hear the action, then I was kind of disappointed when Malgus didn't kill Eren, and then I was sad when Malgus stabbed Alina. I know why he had to do it, but it just made for one of the saddest parts ever. He fought so hard to keep her alive, then he just killed her like it was nothing. I'm not saying that I didn't like the part of the story, 
because it was some of the best Star Wars writing ever. I just wish Malgus would have won and got to keep the girl. So it was sad. But I got something to lift our spirits, and that's the quote of this week. And it comes to us from Jedi Master Goss Durrell. He said, success is not measured in credits, which is money, but in the difference one makes, even the smallest actions can shape the galaxy for generations to come. Success is often seen as achieving something grand or receiving recognition for one's accomplishments. However, success can also be measured in the impact one makes on the world around him. The quote emphasizes that success is just not about personal gain, but also about the positive influence one has on others. Imagine a young girl named Trish who was passionate about protecting the environment. She often felt discouraged because she was just one person and believed that she couldn't make a significant difference. One day, her science teacher showed her a video of a young girl who started a recycling program in her neighborhood and was able to reduce waste by 50%. This inspired Trish, and she decided to start her own recycling program at school. At first, it was just a few bins that she had placed in the hallways, but soon she was able to rally her classmates to join her cause. Together, they implemented a recycling program throughout the school, and within a few months, they had reduced waste by 40%. Trish and her classmates' effort didn't go unnoticed, and the local news featured their story. This caught attention of the city mayor, who invited them to speak at the city council meeting. They were able to convince the city council to implement a citywide recycling program. And within a year, the entire city had reduced waste by 30%. Trisha's small actions had a ripple effect that led to a significant change. The success of her recycling program was not measured in money or personal gain, but in the positive impact it had in the environment and the community. The story illustrates that success can come from even the smallest action, and it's not just about personal gain, but also about making a difference in the world around us. And that's all I have for this episode. Join us next week for the thrilling conclusion of Star Wars The Old Republic's Deceive. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archive. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Kenai Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and it was distributed by Swaycast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic of the Sea was read to you by Jason Ordega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host Kyle and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. 